Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is the final episode of Season 8. This is episode number 79, and season nine kicks off very soon. It's actually just around the corner in the next few days, actually. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate the interest and support that I've received since we launched this podcast. There's so much to tell you about what we've been doing to continue to build and grow this platform. I'm actually preparing a little update episode just to let you know all the great things that are happening. It's been almost three years since I started publishing these podcasts, and I really feel so fortunate to be working in such an exciting field. And not just in digital health. I love digital health from even before it was called digital health. And I love the healthcare sector as a whole. I've been involved in health for over 20 years. And I've worked with and for some really fascinating companies and with some really inspiring leaders and innovators. But also, I have to admit, I love producing podcasts. The podcast industry is exploding. And there are some great things happening in the capabilities of how we can build and grow podcasts for people working in the healthcare sector. And I'm really focused on doing that. As a result, we've made some investments and brought people on board to expand our ability to serve audiences and organizations through doing what we're doing here, creating podcasts. I don't want to take any more time than I've already taken to describe it. I want to get to our next guest. But I do hope you'll tune into my State of the Podcast episode that I have coming up. And I hope you'll let me know what you think and if there are some things that we can do better to serve your interests and to help you overcome the challenges that you're facing as you work to innovate in and improve healthcare. You can email me directly at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or reach me on the Twitters at healthtechdan. Okay, so let's talk about digital health. That's why we're here after all. When people ask me to define digital health, I normally include a whole host of products, software, and technology. Everything from 3D printing and augmented reality through to digital therapeutics and virtual reality and lots of stuff in between. Now, one of the technologies that I include in the list is robotics. Now, you may be asking, why robotics? What does that have to do with digital health? Let me explain. We're seeing huge leaps in other technologies like AI, computer vision, augmented reality, which, as we know, can touch and and are touching many areas of our lives and industries. And as these technologies begin to converge, you'll see more capabilities being delivered through things like robots. We're already seeing a boom in consumer robotics around the world. That tech that has transformed manufacturing floors for years is moving well beyond that environment and into places like hotels, bars, and even in homes. And although robots have been around since well before the term digital health was coined, their impact on healthcare, I believe, is at an infancy stage. It's just my opinion, but I believe that the robots of today are really like the early computers of 60 years ago that used to fill entire rooms of office buildings. And whether or not you agree with me on that, I think everyone can agree that robots of today are bigger, have fewer applications, and have less intelligence than robots will have in 5 to 15 years from now. But you didn't wait to begin using computers 20 years ago until the smartphone or tablet computer was invented. No, you used what was available, and you increased your dexterity and the applications of these machines as the technology changed and improved. So why should the healthcare sector wait 20 years for some future generation of robot and overlook the capabilities and benefits that robots can deliver today? 
That's my question. But hey, you don't listen to this show for my opinion. Let me bring you a guest who's recognized the potential of robots and is working to transform not just the robotic technology or the operational delivery of these systems, but really to address the entire value chain that shapes how these important devices can be adapted to fit into the business models and the cost constraints of the hospitals that need them. With me today is Todd Pope. He's the president and chief executive officer of Transenteryx, a company that's digitizing the interface between laparoscopic surgeons and patients through the use of their robot. Did you hear what I said there? They're digitizing the interface. That's what they do. Not just deliver an arm or a set of arms. That's just the beginning. Todd is going to share with us some of the ways that robots are changing the landscape of surgery today. And he'll tell us how technologies such as artificial intelligence and computer vision further enhance these capabilities. I'll let Todd tell you about that in the second half of the program. Todd has more than 25 years of experience in key leadership positions within the medical device industry. He was the worldwide president at Cordis, which is a multi-billion dollar division within Johnson & Johnson's medical device sector. And he previously held a number of leadership positions there at Johnson & Johnson, as well as Boston Scientific. Now, you can get the links and the show notes for this episode at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 79. While you're there, please be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Now, let's dive into the conversation with Todd Pope. Todd, thanks for joining me and welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Todd, we're going to dive into robots in healthcare and specifically robots in surgery. But first of all, just tell me a little bit about the company you're leading now, Transenteryx. Tell me about what the company is doing and the product that you have available. Certainly. um, It's exciting times here at Transenteryx. Our robot is called the Synhance. That name was really derived from enhancing the senses of the surgeon. Um, Our company is just about 10 years old here. We're based in Research Triangle Park. North Carolina and the States, and we also have a presence all across Europe with our headquarters in Milan, Italy. Uh, Our robot is only the second robot approved uh, for the soft tissue space in surgical robotics, so it's exciting times after 20 years of just having one offering in the space. The Synhance is the second to market and certainly generating a lot of excitement. When you and I spoke earlier, we talked about how the industry has evolved. You have 30 years of healthcare experience in medical devices, pharmaceuticals, and executive management. How did you spot the opportunities available in surgical robotics? Well, I did start uh, in med tech in the late 1980s. And what we've seen is medical technology has been dominated by a handful of large cap med tech companies. Uh, They're great companies, provide great products, but typically with not as many young nimble, aggressive companies. I think innovation has gone at a slower pace than what surgeons and healthcare providers would like. And when we saw technology that we interface day in and day out in our regular lives, we thought if we could get that into the operating room, surely uh, clinical outcomes could be improved. And that was what really drove us in the early days when you start seeing the proliferation of technology and computers and cell phones and cars, you see a lot of that technology, you know if you can port it over to the operating room, clinical outcomes can be improved. So what are some of the challenges that robots are solving? And this is specifically in minimally invasive surgery. So what are some of the challenges in that environment that robots can help to solve? Certainly at at a macro level, when you think about robots, whether they're in the operating room or uh, in any application, they bring precision, they bring strength, and they bring repeatability. The robotic arm just doesn't get tired. We don't think about that very often, but when surgeons and surgical staff are standing on their feet day in and day out in long days in the operating room, they can tire both physically and cognitively. 
and robots can really fill in that gap. There's still quite a bit of surgical variability when people get operated on around the world. And we think technology, especially robotic-assisted surgery, can really help level the playing field on that surgical variability, and, and that's a good thing. Now, there's been a lot of concern about the costs of these devices in the past. I mean, the, the companies that have been, or the company that's really been around, that's had the longest track record in this environment is Intuitive Surgical. And there's a lot of concerns around the the overall cost to hospitals and, frankly, around the, the actual surgical outcomes, whether they're actually providing any improvements in the outcomes from people who are having robots used during their surgery. So what can you tell us about the way that you've unpicked this from both a cost perspective, as well as from sort of the myth perspective, the sort of resistance that some people have about even considering robotics in their facilities? Certainly. Well, I think Intuitive's done a a very good job. They've really created a market. Their product was approved in 2000, and there was a lot of skepticism about robotics. And uh, I think they've done a great job as the leader, really the only player in surgical robotics. And I certainly think early on, there was a lot of questions about clinical utility, but you don't have the success in the uh, widespread adoption of robotics like that has occurred unless you do see good clinical benefits. And when you think about clinical benefits, there's multiple constituents. You certainly think about the patient, you think about the surgeon, and you think about the staff, and robotics can help all three of those. I think for us, Personally, uh, as I lead Transenterics and we roll out our Senhance robot, the one thing that most people don't realize is much of the pressure in healthcare is around reimbursement. Certainly around the world, there's just certain levels of reimbursement provided for different procedures. And usually hospitals have to try to operate within those parameters. If they can come in below the reimbursement levels, they can make a margin, and that's a good thing for the hospital. When they exceed that reimbursement as far as cost, well, they're losing money on those procedures. So we want to provide technology at a per procedure price that doesn't uh, escalate the cost of care. So the main way we've been able to do that with Synhance is the majority of instruments in healthcare today in surgery are reusable. They get used and they get sterilized, oftentimes steam sterilized in an autoclave, and then they're reused. And that keeps costs down. Up to this point, robotic instruments have not been able to be reused over the long term. We're changing that at Synhance. We have reusability in our instruments, and that's really keeping our cost down on a per-procedure basis. And we think that's going to help adoption of the Synhance platform, robotics in the macro. And I think that's positive for healthcare if technology can be adopted on a wider scale, as long as it's not cost prohibitive. I think that's really where the real innovation needs to come. And I'm glad to hear that you've actually adopted that philosophy with your instruments, because I know that whether it's robotic assisted or not, the single use instruments is a real problem in everything from orthopedics through laparoscopic and a variety of other procedures. So using reusable instruments in your robot is a a great solution. And they're actually sterilizing these and reprocessing these themselves, right? They don't have to send these off to be done. That's exactly right. We do not want to put a burden on the hospital, especially sterile supply. Sterile supply is a critical area of the hospital. They don't want to add extra equipment or extra procedures. So we worked hard to be able to utilize 
the same trays, the same uh, sterilization equipment, and certainly the same methods that they're currently using for their other surgical reusable instruments. So we really dovetail pretty seamlessly into sterile supply, and that's made us a friend of those folks in the hospital. I know that pricing will vary based on volumes and the market requirements in each place where you sell your product, but can you give us some indication of how your pricing model works and how you work within the reimbursement models for laparoscopic procedures? Yeah, I can give you some data on that. You know, typically a robotics case up to now typically costs about $1,800 per case. That's an average, certainly depending on the case. It can be less or more depending on the equipment that's used. In laparoscopy, again, on average, laparoscopy costs about $500 a case. And that can vary widely depending on the instruments that are used, but that's a good average. The thing to remember is there are not special reimbursement codes for robotics. So robotic procedures are almost always coded as laparoscopic reimbursement. So if you traditionally have a laparoscopic case that's costing $500 and you have a robotic alternative that's almost $2,000, that puts a pinch on the hospital. So with the Senhance, we're doing everything we can to stay right at that $500 or less per procedure. So very equivalent to laparoscopy, very equivalent to what they're used to doing uh, when they're coding their cases versus the reimbursement. And it doesn't put a strain on the operating budget of the hospital. Where are you looking in terms of the market opportunities for surgical robots? Are there particular parts of the world that are more open to adopting this technology? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we have dual headquarters. We're headquartered both in Research Triangle Park and in Milan, Italy. And right now, we have a strong pull uh, from all over the world, being only the second robotic platform approved in the last two decades. Our current commercialization strategy has us launching in Europe, both Western and Eastern Europe, Asia, and certainly the United States. So on all three uh, geographies, we have a lot of interest in the Senhance platform, and we have offices across Europe, the United States, and certainly in Asia to uh, begin our commercialization efforts. Excellent. So during the sales process, I'm trying to understand how, uh, whether people are coming to you or whether there's a, a strong case that you have to make for these robots to be used. So during the sales process, what are some of the, the common misperceptions that your clients have about using robots in surgery? Well, it's, it's a great question. Um, robotics are quite popular. Most people, both in the healthcare environment and patients, are very familiar with robotics. But still, less than 10% of surgery around the world have converted over to robotics. And there's always a question of why we get a lot of those questions. And when you talk to surgeons, there's certain applications that have fit well with robotics up to now. Whenever you need to suture or anastomose things together in places that are difficult to reach with the human hand, robotics has been helpful to give good vision, good access, and good suturing capability in tight spots, similar to prostate surgery. But most surgery occurs not in tight spots that doesn't require advanced suturing. So is there a robot out there that can address the higher volume procedures that are done day in and day out? And that's one thing that most people, to your point, is there a myth? I think most people have thought up to now, it's not a myth, but it's a perception that robotics really are only most applicable for highly complex, highly reimbursed procedures. That is due to the features 
that they've offered and the cost per procedure. But with Synhance, we're starting to see people adopt the robot in a much wider variety of procedures uh, through the abdomen and general surgery, GYN, colorectal. And that's because we have features that cater to those surgeons and those specialties. And as we've talked about, a per procedure cost that um, doesn't put a strain on those higher volume lower reimbursed procedures. And I imagine if you can drive the cost down and you can increase the number of procedures that your product can be used in, it drives a whole other level of team dynamic in terms of familiarity with the product and being able to set it up and take it down very quickly. And just, you know, once you start using a tool or a piece of technology more frequently, you find more and more ways that you can use it. Is that actually what's happening with your product? It's a fantastic point. We've realized that if robotics is only used for those procedures that are deemed highly complex and highly reimbursable, those aren't as commonplace. And you're right with your question. When people start to use the Synhance for everyday procedures, there's a cascade of benefits that occur. The surgeon gets more familiar, so their skill sets go up. The staff gets more familiar, as you said, with setup. Uh, with interoperability and uh, certainly their efficiency. And then when you're using a piece of capital equipment uh, more and more, it's easier to do a return on investment analysis when you're thinking about amortization over time. So lots of benefits occur when you can take a technology like the Synhance and use it more as an everyday technology instead of a once in a while when the procedure comes along that seems ideal. So all of those good benefits we're seeing. So how do you handle training? What's the learning curve like and how do you get new surgeons trained on the product and the procedures? And how do you onboard experienced surgeons that just need to be trained on the robot itself? Certainly, uh, those are really two different things. As far as during the sales process, we want surgeons to get familiarity with the product. They may see it at a conference at a trade show. They may come into our headquarters and utilize it. They can do a wet or a dry lab, really get good experience with the product. But after they acquire the technology, we have a training program that we put the surgeons and the team through, the surgical staff. Uh, But each hospital handles credentialing on their own, and then they may have credentialing that they want over and above. In addition to just training, they may want an experienced robotic user to proctor the first amount of cases. So a pretty good filter of uh, training and proctoring before surgeons begin to use it. But we found that um, that really ramps up the skill sets and they're ready to go upon doing their first cases and they can get out of the gates fairly quickly. I was just going to ask you what this sort of time period is. How long does it take for someone to be sort of certified or or comfortable using it in uh, an actual case on their own? Well, one of the great things about the Synhance is it operates with laparoscopic motion. So the exact hand movements that they're used to doing in laparoscopy is replicated on the Synhance. And since laparoscopy is the widest form of surgery being practiced out there, just as an example, there's well over 6 million laparoscopic procedures done just between the U.S. and Europe each year. So with that familiarity being able to be transferred over to Synhance, we've seen surgeons get up and going very quickly. And we're finding that after their first 10 cases, even their case times are very similar to their traditional laparoscopy cases. So it's a technology hurdle that's fairly low as far as adoption. And um, that's been a great benefit for us. 
All right, you're listening to a conversation with Todd Pope, President and CEO of Transenteryx. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how this robotic technology can integrate other tech like AI and computer vision to even further improve the capabilities in surgery. We'll dive into that after a quick word from our sponsor. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back and you're listening to episode 79 of Digital Health Today, and we're speaking with Todd Pope, President and CEO of Transenteryx a company that's digitizing the interface between laparoscopic surgeons and patients. Todd, you've told us about how robots can be used effectively in the hospital setting, how you've adapted the business model to adjust to the realities and constraints of the financial models in hospitals, and you've told us how people can get familiar with the use of this technology. And now I'd like to take a little peek into the future. What do you think the future holds for robots in the surgical environment? It's a good question. We think about that a lot, and we talk uh, to a lot of healthcare providers about that. I believe today robotics have basically been robotic manipulation. A surgeon sits at a console. We can filter out tremor. We can give them great precision, advanced visualization, and a robotic arm that never tires and has great strength. Really a very adaptable product, but that's simply robotic manipulation. I think where the technology will go in our hands and others is to make the device more of a hub within the operating room. I think more and more data will be provided to the surgeon on the console and the screen, so they're not constantly having to check with anesthesia. I think we can have a lot more of that on our heads-up display. And then ultimately, I think connectivity is going to drive a lot of what happens in the operating room. There are already a lot of companies trying to drive connectivity but they actually don't do the surgery. When you have a robotic platform, you're actually performing the surgery with the surgeon. There's a lot of data that comes out of that. We think we can connect that to the video tower, to a lot of the imaging. And eventually, I think it can be a hub for connectivity all the way out to maybe electronic medical records and the like. There's too many disparate devices operating within the OR. I think if you can connect those into one hub, a robot, I think that's going to drive a lot of efficiency. So I think the larger med tech players, some of them are pursuing robots now, are doing that because they see the days of having a rep come in the operating room and sell one specific product, I think are waning. I think you're going to have all the products pretty much connected through the robot, whether it's handheld instruments, whether it's vision whether it's insufflation, whether it's energy stapling, I think they're all going to be interconnected to a robot. And I think that'll drive efficiency and certainly transparency of data, which will be helpful. There definitely is a need to be able to pull this sort of technology in that environment. But the thing about minimally invasive surgery is that it's all video-based. So you've got a camera, you've got a display. And as we're seeing more and more as uh, computers get more powerful and computer vision gets more powerful, there's a lot of augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence that can be layered in. Do you see a place for that sort of technology in you know, combining augmented or artificial intelligence with robotics? Yeah, the answer to that is a resounding yes. I a lot of times compare what's happening with the vehicles around the world to what could happen in surgery. We're starting to get more and more sensors on our cars. We're starting to get more cameras. And that's really helping us out. It's helping people from drifting from lane to lane. They get some augmented intelligence when they their seat vibrates and lets them know they're drifting. 
when you have your car in reverse, if you're getting ready to collide into something, it not only gives you a warning, but it can apply the brakes. I, I look at that as augmented intelligence, not necessarily artificial intelligence. And I think we need the same thing in the operating room. We recently acquired a company out of Israel called MST, and they really spent the last 10 years developing advanced video analytics. So we can take a look at an abdomen, we can map it, and we can set up no-fly zones. So no instruments accidentally come in contact with tissue, organs, or vessels. That can be a great safety measure. We can drop digital icons within the abdomen so we can measure. Surgeons are constantly needing to measure whether they're cutting a mesh to fill a hernia defect or whether they're getting ready to fire a stapler and they want to know what type of stapler to use. We can just drop icons with this new technology. It'll give them a 3D measurement right away. And lastly, if you happen to see anything that looks suspicious in the abdomen, you can drop a digital icon there, mark it, and then later in the surgery, ask the system to go back and take a look at that. So these are, again, technologies that exist in our day-to-day life. They haven't made it in the operating room because it's a highly regulated environment. But we've had good luck working with the regulators around the world saying this technology can drive better clinical outcomes. And with our approvals of Synhance and other technologies, I think we're getting the regulators to agree with us. So we're excited about where that can go. Really exciting stuff, Todd. I, I love the way that you're thinking. I love the development that you've undertaken so far and that you're continuing to show with your acquisition of MST and the, the discussion that we're having here about no-fly zones and markers and measurements and being able to use this. This is really advanced stuff to where we were 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And I'm very excited to see your company continue to succeed. We're at the beginning of 2019. What does this year hold for you? Well, it's an exciting time for us uh, now that we have sold systems in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. It makes it much easier for us to grow in those geographies. Typically, hospital systems want to go and watch surgery in their geography. They want to talk to surgeons that are using the platform, hear how they're integrated into their healthcare system. And we've had to fly people all over the world up to now to do that. Now they can take a short drive or a train ride or a a brief flight somewhere in their own country, watch Synhance being used. And we really think that's going to drive continued growth of the platform. We're looking forward to integrating the technology of MST We just got Advanced Energy approved in Europe, and we're looking to get that approved in 2019 in the U.S. So lots of uh, exciting things for Transenterics and the Synhance platform. Excellent. Todd, and I should really also point out that last year, 2018, you were named Time Magazine's 50 Most Influential People in Healthcare. So congratulations on that distinction. Uh, Tell me about that process. What's it been like since you've been named there as one of the top 50 influential people in healthcare? Well, I I appreciate the congratulations. Uh, Certainly, it wasn't a process that we knew about. We literally got a call and uh, let us know that I'd been selected. But the the first thing I would say is it's certainly a group recognition. Uh, All the folks here at Transenterics were trying to push the envelope. A lot of people told us 10 years ago it would be very difficult to build a robotics company from scratch. a lot of reasons why we could not do that. We've persevered. We're excited to have the system out there and mostly because we get such good feedback from uh, surgeons, healthcare providers, and, and certainly patients. So I think it's just a recognition of going after a very uh, difficult area and um, breaking through. And a lot of people said we couldn't. And 
Yeah, the group is an incredible group. Bill and Melinda Gates, Ken Langone, Scott Gottlieb. I could go on and on. Uh, I'm really humbled to be in that group. But I think it's really a reflection of what we've done here at Transenterics and certainly the technology. And uh, I think it's also excited some of the folks that's partnered with us early on. Uh, they feel like they saw something special in the platform of what we were doing here. And they feel very validated that others have recognized it. So it's, it's been it's been nice for uh, all of us here at Transenterics. Well, it's great to see that recognition from time, but also I know that the market is also really validating and endorsing the work that you guys are doing. So some great expectations uh, being reflected in your stock price and in the performance over the past year. And uh, I just think it's really great to see a new company come into the market, get some approvals, have some commercial success, and just really continue to amplify it. And then innovate in these new ways that you were just talking about. I'm excited to see it and I wish you a lot of success. Is there anything else you want to add to and share with the listeners before I let you go? No, I just really appreciate being able to be on with you and share with your audience. I think uh, each and every day we get a few other platforms to be able to talk to folks about what's happening in healthcare and technology. And we're uh, excited to play a small part of it here at Transenterics with the Enhanced platform. So appreciate the work you're doing. I know you're audience and listenership continues to grow. And we're uh, glad to be on with you today. Excellent, Todd. Well, thanks for joining me. Okay, thank you. That was Todd Pope, President and CEO of Transenterics. So tell me, what do you think? Do you think robots are a waste of time and money? Or do you think that they hold a prime place in the future of how surgery is done? I'd like to hear what you think. Send me a message on Twitter at HealthTechDan or reach me on the show at DHealthToday. You can also email me the old-fashioned way at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com. Grab the show notes for this episode by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 79. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to and rate the podcast. I really appreciate your support and participation in this growing platform. Stay tuned for my state of the podcast address, just a short episode to keep you up to date on the things that we're doing to serve the health community globally and locally. We're also kicking off season nine in the next few days. We have a host of conversations with leaders who are addressing disease through the microbiome, improving mental health through our mobile phones, 3D printing human organs, advancing digital therapeutics, explaining opportunities and differences in the Asian markets, and much, much more. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single thing. As always, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep on innovating. Innovating.